Hey everyone, it's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson, and it's January 18th. Gilles Garnier, known as the Werewolf of Dole, was found guilty of lycanthropy and witchcraft on this day in 1593 after a series of just gruesome attacks on children and possible cannibalism. Gilles Garnier lived in the forest north of Dole in France, and he was kind of a recluse. He had been nicknamed the Hermit of Dole, A lot of other hermits this time were reclusive for religious reasons, and this wasn't the case for him. He was just kind of a loner and an oddball living out by himself in the woods. He also got married to a woman named Apollonia, and we know almost nothing about her, including how he met her or why she married him, given his very solitary and kind of odd existence. He also didn't have any way of really supporting the two of them. They didn't have any animals. They had no garden. They were mostly scavenging food and trying to glean it from other places. On September 29th of 1572, a girl of about 10 or 12 was attacked and mauled and killed while out in a vineyard. Allegedly, Garnier was the culprit, and allegedly he took parts of her body home to use as food. Another similar attack happened in a meadow not long afterward, but this time the culprit was chased away before taking any parts of the girl's body, and the witnesses said that it was some kind of a wolf. Attacks continued. They focused on children who were outdoors, either walking or working in gardens or vineyards. And then finally, in one of these attacks, witnesses said that it wasn't a wolf that they saw. It was Garnier. He was linked back to all of these earlier attacks and then arrested and put on trial. About 50 witnesses gave testimony at the trial. Some of them said things like that they had seen a wolf in the woods and then they had seen Garnier in the woods. So they concluded that they were one and the same. And then at the trial, Garnier also confessed to these crimes, but he had made that confession after being tortured. He said that one day he had been out looking for food and he met a specter. And the specter said that he could help Garnier. He said that the specter gave him a salve that would let him turn into an animal. He had a few animals to choose from, and he decided to be a wolf because that made the most sense out in the French countryside. And this really fit right in with an existing belief in lycanthropy in 16th century France. After the trial, he was sentenced to be drawn on a hurdle to the place of execution and then executed, and then his body burned into ash. This didn't really get rid of local fears of werewolves, though, and a law was passed later in 1573 that made it legal to hunt werewolves. Today, it's not really clear whether Garnier had anything to do with any of these deaths. A survey of the forest in the early 2000s did identify the remains of a structure that dated to about the same time. It might have been his home. There was no sign of any human remains there. It's often suggested that he may have been experiencing some kind of delusions, especially if he believed that confession that he had given under torture. And it's also possible that some of these attacks really were animal attacks. Wolf attacks have been very rare in other times in history and in other parts of the world, but in early modern Europe, they were a big problem. 
There is more to all this in the October 28th, 2015 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on the show. And you can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a telegram that changed the course of a war. Hey, y'all. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History Class, a show where we one day ship nuggets of history straight to your brain through your ear hole. The day was January 18, 1983. More than 70 years after athlete Jim Thorpe won gold medals at the 1912 Olympics, the International Olympic Committee restored his medals posthumously. James Francis Thorpe, also known as Bright Path, was born in what is now Oklahoma. He was a member of the Sauk and Fox Nation, a tribe of Sauk and Meskwaki peoples. Thorpe participated in many sports over the years. He played football and competed in track and field at Carlisle Industrial Indian School in Pennsylvania. In the summer of 1909, Thorpe went to Rocky Mount, North Carolina, to play minor league baseball for a reported $15 a week. College athletes often used pseudonyms when they did this so they could keep their status as amateurs. But Thorpe used his own name, and he went back to play baseball in the Eastern Carolina League, splitting time between Rocky Mount and Fayetteville in the summer of 1910. Thorpe excelled as a football player and track and field star, and he began training for the Olympics. In 1912, he headed to Stockholm, Sweden for the Summer Olympics, chosen for the pentathlon and decathlon teams. He won gold medals in both events. Later that year, he returned to Carlisle to play football. His victories had gained him more fame, and he noted disliking all the attention. But all the positive attention soon turned into negative press. Olympic athletes had to follow rules regarding amateurism. Those who previously played professional sports could not compete in the games. In 1913, the Wooster Telegram out of Massachusetts reported that he was paid to play baseball in the summers of 1909 and 1910, and news spread to other sources. This meant that he was barred from competing in the Olympics. In a letter he wrote to James Edward Sullivan, the secretary of the Amateur Athletic Union, he said the following, I hope I will be partly excused by the fact that I was simply an Indian schoolboy and did not know all about such things. But his lack of awareness of the rules did not fly as an excuse with the Amateur Athletic Union. It revoked his amateur status and the International Olympic Committee stripped him of his medals and took his name out of record books. Thorpe soon left Carlisle. For the next couple of decades, he played major league baseball and professional football. After he retired from professional sports, he took various jobs as an MC, actor, and public speaker. In 1943, the Oklahoma legislature adopted a resolution that the AAU be petitioned to reinstate his records. And there were later calls for the restoration of his medals. But he died of a heart attack in 1953. It wasn't until 1973 that the AAU restored his amateur status, in January 18, 1983, when the International Olympic Committee presented Thorpe's children with commemorative medals. 
I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there's something I missed in the show today, you can let us know at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll see you again tomorrow with another one. Mm-hmm.